we're uh, beginning this new series, and I also like to make people aware of this, that with every new conversation we do, uh, we provide these little take-home companions. And so that's the case for this series. And they're on the table in the back of this room. They're downstairs in the Grace Cafe. And so I'd encourage you to pick one up. Uh, It gives you a chance to kind of walk through our conversation with us for the next three weeks. And as uh, we talk about that, I always like to take a chance to say hi to those who might be joining us in the cafe, those who are joining us online, things like that. We love the fact you're part of our community as well, because we're going to begin a conversation that I think, you ready, has the power and the potential to change your life. I think it has the power and the potential to change somebody's life. I think it has the power and the potential to change your family. I think it has the power and the potential to change our schools. I think it has the power and the potential to change our community. I think it has the power and the potential to change our church. I think it has the power and the potential to change our world, and I'm not even over-exaggerating. I think the conversation that we're going to have today and for the next three weeks is one of the most important conversations that we can have in this room. I think the conversation that we're going to have for the next three weeks is a conversation that's going to matter to you if you have kids. I think it's going to matter to you if you work with kids. I think it's going to matter to you if you want to have kids someday. I think it's going to matter to you if you wish you didn't have kids today, okay? I think it's going to matter, right? I think it's going to matter to you if you ever were a kid. Raise your hand if I'm talking to you. Let me see. If you don't have your hand up, you weren't listening, right? I think this conversation, no matter where you're at, what stage of life you're in, is going to matter. I think it's something that ought to matter, does matter, should matter, and it's an important conversation for us to have together. I want to talk to you for the next three weeks about in investing and impacting the next generation. That's what I want to do. I want to talk about what it means for us to leave an impact, an investment that's going to outlast us, that that there's going to be someday we're not around, right? And so what does it mean for us to leave an impact, to invest our life in a way that's going to outlast every last one of us in this room? And so we're going to have three weeks of this today. Here's all I want to talk about. For us to leave a lasting impact, it's going to call for a dynamic partnership. I want you to write that down in your notes because I'm going to explain it. It's going to call for a dynamic partnership. Now, before we jump into that, I want to take a minute to explain some things, okay? I want to take a minute to explain some things. Some of you who call Grace Church your home, okay? So you're here every week and I have a chance to talk to you most weeks. I'm the one who gets a chance to talk. Uh, These three weeks are going to be a little different than what you're used to. Here's what I mean. I enjoy taking a passage of scripture and we kind of hang out there and we kind of tease it out. So we spent eight weeks in the Beatitudes. For the next three weeks, we're going to take a 30,000 foot view. So we're going to kind of take a look at a bunch of scripture, okay? It's going to be a little different. It's going to feel a little different. And then I want you to look at the next three weeks this way. It's one sermon, three weeks. One sermon, three weeks. So what we're going to do today is simply the introduction, right? I just kind of want to get to whet your appetite because next week we're going to tease out some things and then the 20th we're going to kind of conclude with some things that are very important for us to consider in this whole conversation about what it means to impact the next generation, what it means to invest in something that's going to outlast us. And so it's going to be a little different. And so when we talk about a dynamic partnership, there's three components, three components that we're going to talk about today. And the first component is found in Psalm 127. I want to show it to you. In fact, why don't, I'm not going to just show it to you. Why don't we read it out loud together? Can we do that? Let's read it out loud. You be my choir, and let's read it out loud together. One, two, three. Here we go. Children. Here's the first point. Here's the first component in this dynamic partnership. I want you to write it down. Every child is a gift from God. I'll finish the sentence, I promise, but let's start there. Every child is a gift from God. Nobody look at it. Every kid is a present, every kid is a present given by God. God gives us presents, okay? So as parents, we think that, but it's not just for parents, right? Every child is a gift from God. Now, let's just be honest about some things, right? Some of you, I'm looking around the room, and and I see we're in different stages of life, right? And so some of you, it's been recently that you've had in your home a, a newborn, right? And so you're like, yeah, I see that. Like, you, you get it. You can, you can feel what I'm saying. You're like, you look in that newborn's eyes, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, every child is a gift from God. And you're like looking at him with googly eyes, like, oh, what a gift from God, right? You track nothing? And that is so cool. But there's some of you got toddlers in your house, amen, right? 
and you're wondering, right? You're like, I believe every child is a gift from God, but do they come with a manual, right? That's what you're thinking, right? You're thinking, there's some days I wonder. There's some days I doubt it. There's others of you, your kids are already elementary age, right? And they've started learning this art, this art of talking back to you. Am I speaking to anybody who knows what I'm talking about in the room yet? You gotta talk to me this morning, right? And here's the deal. You're looking at that kid and you're like, my, oh my, do they have a turn-off switch, right? Is there any way to turn them off? And then some of you, stay with me, you got teenagers, right? You tracking with me? And there are some days, not every day, don't email me, but there's some days you wonder if they come with a money-back guarantee, right? If you can turn that kid in. But here's the deal. Listen, your perspective your perspective changes with each stage or phase your kid goes through. Your perspective kind of changes because each stage presents new opportunities and it presents new obstacles, right? And so here's all we're saying, that each stage they go through is simply a phase and every child is a gift from God. Here's how I want you to remember. Every, every newborn baby is a gift from God, both those who sleep through the night and those who don't. You tracking with me? Every toddler, every single toddler in your home, in this church, in the school you work in, whatever it might be, is a gift from God. Both the well-behaved ones and the bratty ones, right? The terrible two ones and the ones who skip that, right? Every elementary school student, every teenager, whether they're really polite to you or whether they come across rebellious, they are a gift from God. Why? How in the world can we see them that way? I want you to remember this. Here's the meat of it. Every child's a gift from God because every child's been created in the image of God. Every child that you will ever encounter has the image of God stamped on them. Every child created in the image of God, every child in your home, every child in your school, every child, in that kid that rides his bike down the road in your neighborhood, that kid who plays in your backyard, whatever it might be, they have the image of God stamped on them. They've been created in God's image. And that means this, because they are a gift from God created in the image of God, I dare not ignore them, minimize them, right? I dare not ignore them, minimize them. I dare not dismiss them. You know why? Because there's a story of Jesus hanging out and he had some followers. They were called his disciples. And some little kids were there and guess what? They tried to what? Shoo them away. And what did Jesus say? Stop it. He said, let those little kids come. Let them come. Like I want those kids to hang out with me. You see, that is one of the stories in the Bible that has caused me to adopt a certain practice. I'm going to kind of let a secret out of the bag, a cat out of the bag. But I have the chance to interview people from time to time for staff positions and things like that. And I've had a chance to add people to the team. And so I like to ask a lot of questions, a lot of hard questions sometimes, a lot of questions about philosophy and ministry and the Bible and their character and their competence. But I like to, when I'm considering bringing somebody on the team, I'm going to tell you what I like to do. I like to create a situation where they're in a space where there's little kids because I like to watch what they do with those little kids. I like to watch if they dismiss them, if they just simply talk to the adults in the room. I like to watch if they take the time to encounter them, to engage them in conversation, or if they're just simply a bother. Why? Why in the world? Because those little kids are somehow created in the image of God, and the way they interact with those kids tells me whether or not they get it, that they're a gift from God. You see, Jesus had another encounter, Matthew 18. Look at this. He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now look here a second. Let's stop. Jesus is using a child as an illustration. We talked about the kingdom of heaven for the last eight weeks. So he's got this child in his midst, and he's using him as an illustration, him or her as an illustration. But then he does something interesting, okay? So I don't want you to miss this. He does something interesting. Then he says, and, oh, by the way, and, this kid's not just an illustration. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. That's fascinating to me. 
There's a sense to which what Jesus is saying is that every time I interact with, I talk with, spend time with, laugh with, am interested in a child, I want you to remember this, it is a divine encounter. That's what he's saying. He's saying, every time I welcome a little kid, every time I'm interested in a little child, every time I'm engaging in conversation with a little child, he's saying that somehow there's a divine encounter that takes place. I love how Reggie Joyner says this. He says, when you learn to treat kids like they're made in the image of God, it increases their potential to see the God in whose image they've been made. I believe that. When you treat a kid that way, it all of a sudden raises their potential to see the God in whose image they've been made. I love, I love the fact that many of you volunteer your time, that that is one of the things that's important to us here. It's kind of funny. It makes me, makes me think of a story or a situation that happened about three weeks ago. About three weeks ago, uh, we, we have uh, downstairs right now, there are kids having a blast. They're just having a blast in, in something called Power Kids. And by the way, if your kids are in Power Kids, let me tell you two things about what goes on Power Kids. And if your kids aren't, you ought to have them try Power Kids, okay? Um, Because it's awesome. But here's what I tell you, that we have a safety team that is always, always, always active. Your kids are safe. I'll tell you that. Your kids are safe. And so we have a safety team, and every person working with your child has been background checked, okay? So I'll tell you that. Your kids are safe, and we make sure the environment is safe. So we, a couple weeks ago, had a brand new safety team member. He's awesome, by the way. So I'm in second service. He's awesome, and he's really vigilant, and he's wanting to do a good job. And he was assigned this particular week to the, to the children's area, right? So he's walking around doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he came to my wife, who's the nursery coordinator, right? Came to my wife, who's the nursery coordinator. He said, I think we might have a problem in the preschool room. She's like, what's the problem? He said, I don't know. There's a guy that I am not sure if he's supposed to be in there, but he's in there and he's acting crazy and he's yelling and he's just going berserk and just kind of whatever and, you know, so on and so forth, kind of winding the kids up and this, that, and the other thing. And she said, I'll come down and see what's going on, you know, alert, red. And all of a sudden she ran down to the room. She looked in there and in the room was a guy named Steve. Steve, she looked at the the safety team member, she said, that's just Steve. He works with the kids, and he happens to be one of the elders here at the church. Isn't that interesting? He was in there having more fun than the kids were. See, Steve, I don't know how many of you know Steve, but Steve Workman is his name. He loves kids, and the deal is this. He's willing to get down on their level. Why? Because Steve gets something. Steve understands something. He understands that every child has been created in the image of God, and every child is a gift from God. But that's not all. That's not all. The second part to the sentence is just as important. That every child is a gift from God with an expiration date. I want you to write it down. It sounds like they're terminal, doesn't it? It sounds like they might spoil if you don't use them by a certain date, right? But all that means is this. Here's how I want you to remember this. Every child's a gift from God, and they have an expiration date. simply means this. They won't always be a child. They won't always be a child. There's going to come a point in time when they're going to no longer be a child. Now, some of you are sitting here, and here's what you're thinking. Oh, really? When does that kick in? 30, 40? You're thinking, I don't know when that kicks in, right? But here's the deal. Every child is a gift from God, and every child has an expiration date. It makes me think of a passage. I love this passage in Psalm 90. By the way, Moses wrote this. Moses wrote We don't think of him writing the Psalms, but he wrote this. He says, teach us to number our days. Why? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. When I begin to realize that my days are numbered, I'm going to live wisely. When I realize that there's a a limit to the days that I have, I'm going to live with a heart of wisdom. Now, here's what's interesting. Ready? Here's what's interesting. I looked this up in a different version. There's a different version. It's a fascinating version. Let's throw that up there. It's the NDG TV version. It's kind of a long, how many of you ever heard that version? It's kind of a newer version. You can Google it. It's the new Dan Gregory parenting version is what it's called, right? <laughs> but, but think about this. Guys, think about this. If we just kind of, kind of drive this in to parenting, teach us to number our days, look at this, with our kids, that we may gain a heart of wisdom as parents. 
when all of a sudden we realize that the number of days that we have with our kids is not unlimited, that the opportunities we have are numbered, it's going to change the way in which we engage them. It's going to change the way in which we parent. That's all he's saying. That's all he's saying, that literally we have a certain number of days. That's why I love, I love what, what Sherry does down in Power Kids, this Actually, this jar at one time was sitting on the shelf in my office, and I love that because it's a great reminder. Some of you maybe have seen her use this illustration, but this, in this jar are 936 marbles. Actually, there's 935. One fell out, and it's down here. But there's 936 supposed to be in here, right? And you're saying, why is there 936 marbles in that jar? You know why? Because from the time you bring your child home, from the time they enter this world... From the time they come onto the scene of this world to the time they're 18, ready to leave your home, hypothetically, you have, as a parent, 936 weeks with them. And what happens is, from the very minute you bring them into your house, that first week, that second week, you begin right away losing your marbles. That's <laughs> what you begin doing. <laughs> right? Amen? All the parents said? <laughs> But listen to me, there are, there are times in parenting, it's better to just be honest, where you feel like, I'm losing my mind. And, and you can somehow equate that with losing your marbles, right? But the fact of the matter is, you are losing your marbles, and there's sometimes you're like, I'm losing my mind and my marbles, right? Because there are certain stages you'll go through, right? Where it's like, holy smokes, this first year. It's like, the kid won't sleep through the night. I'm losing my marbles, Right? And then some of you know what this is like because I remember this distinctly. I have a kid and, man, they won't give up their pacifier, right? And I don't know that we're going to survive this stage. And when you're a young parent, that's important, right? I remember we had that situation. We had one of our kids would not give up their pacifier. Went, I will not tell you their name, but their initials are Joel. And <laughs> I don't think he's in here, so don't tell him I said that. But he would not give up his pacifier. And my wife and I, we lived at a time in a, in a stage where every other parent, you know, they kind of look at you with this attitude of superiority. You know what I mean? Our kid gave up the pacifier years ago, right? And your kid's like still walking around with it, living with it, right? And you think, I'm not going to survive this. And then you get in that whole stage, don't give me an amen on this, where you got to do this thing called potty training. And you thought, man, that thing ought to be easier than that, right? And then what you realize all of a sudden is all of a sudden time starts flying. You start to lose your marbles, and they get to about middle school. Anybody with me? And you're like, man, I thought I lost my marbles already. And they get to middle school, and what do they start doing? They start exercising their what? Independence. I want to talk to you about that next week. I want to tell you why they're doing that next week, okay? You got to come back next week on Mother's Day. But they begin exercising their independence, and you think, I'm not going to survive this. I'm losing my mind and my marbles, but then before you know it, all of a sudden what happens? They get to about age 16. <laughs> and they come to you and they say this. They say, hey, will you teach me how to drive? I had a guy in first service. That's what he said to me. I said, he said, I had five in my house that I was teaching to drive at the same time. I'm like, you might as well just dump the marbles out, brother. <laughs> right? Each stage, all of a sudden, what happens is little by little, little by little, one week at a time, you begin to lose your marbles. In fact, those of you in the room, those of you in the room who are teachers, those of you who are teachers, I did the math. The way I figure it, you have about 36 marbles when that kid walks into your classroom. 36 weeks. 36 weeks to impact this little gift that God gave you to sit in that room to be part of your class. But what happens over time is eventually, eventually, quicker than you think it can happen, the very same thing happens to you that I had experienced this morning. As I sat in my office, Pastor Jonathan brought me an envelope. I opened the envelope. In the envelope, as I pulled out, the little card is a picture of his youngest son who graduates in May. And all of a sudden, I realized Pastor Jonathan lost his marbles. That's what I realized. Marbles are gone. He's in a different stage of life. 
You see, that's the very stage of life that I find myself in. You blink your eyes, the marbles are gone. And all Moses seems to be saying is simply this. Teach us to number our days. You see, here's how I would say it. I would say this. You ought to write this down. Even if you don't have kids, the phase you want to simply survive is actually an opportunity you must seize. It's actually an opportunity. It's a phase that you're like, I'm not going to get through it. I hope I just survive it. It's just a phase. But the phase you want to simply survive and get through actually provides opportunities that you won't have at other phases in their life. Reggie Joyner says it this way. He says, when you stop and count your weeks, you'll make your weeks count. I like that. When you stop and actually count your weeks, you all of a sudden begin to realize God gave me this gift. They have an expiration date, and so I want to make every week count. Every child is a gift from God with an expiration date. leads to the second component. The second component. You're saying, what's the second component? I want you to write it this way. Every parent is called to be their child's primary coach. Every parent is called to be their child's primary coach. Now, before I unwrap this one, I always feel a need when we talk about this in here that that we just got to have some honest conversation. Anytime I talk about the family, here's what I found. It can be confusing. It can be a very confusing conversation. There's several reasons for that. It's confusing because in our culture, think about this, we don't know anymore in our culture what to take our cues from. And I'm looking at an audience, you guys, and here's what I see. We have a wide representation of generations. Some of us in the room, not pointing out people, have gray hair or no hair. And then there's others of us, we're very young, just starting out. And here's what I can tell you, that we have received Per our generation, different cues, different cultural cues when it comes to the family. So we're not sure whether to take our cues from Leave it to Beaver or Modern Family, right? Let me, let me just do a little quiz. How many of you in the room know or have seen an episode of Leave it to Beaver? Raise your hand. Put your hand down. How many of you have never seen one episode of Leave it to Beaver? I want to see who I'm talking to. It's fascinating. A couple of you. It's okay to raise your hand. How many of you have heard of Modern Family. Raise your hand. Put your hands down. How many of you have never heard of Modern Family? Anybody in the room? Okay, several of you. It's fascinating. We don't know whether to take our cues from Father Knows Best. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Father Knows Best. That just means you're old. That's all that means, right? Or Family Guy. Raise your hand if you have no idea. No idea what Family Guy is all about. Anybody ever see Family Guy? Yeah, some of you have no... (laughs) John's back here. I have no idea. Here's the deal. All that says is this, is these are just simply cultural cues that kind of speak into our culture, a a template for what the family is all about. And so what happens is it becomes confusing. Is the family more like everybody loves Raymond? Is it more like the Cosby show? Is it more like the Brady Bunch? I mean, what, what is my cultural cue that I need to kind of follow when it comes to my family? Here's what else makes it difficult. Every time I talk about the family... Every time, here's what I find. There are some of you, when I say family, here's what you think. My family was disappointing at best. My family was broken. My family was a mess. And so you begin to think, my experience, let cultural cues alone, my experience has been a nightmare. My experience has been disappointing. My experience was broken, so I'm not sure that I have any template. Here's what I know. All of us have a family, and none of us chose our family, right? And so some of us are like, man, if I had the choice, I would have chosen a different family. So here's where we get a dilemma. The dilemma is this. Okay, culture's confusing. My family experience is confusing. So I think what I'll do is I'll go to the Bible and read about the families in the Bible, and I'll get a picture for the family. You know what the problem is? The families in the Bible are all jacked up. If you've never read the story of God, the story of God simply starts with a family that literally, after church one day, one brother kills the other. Fascinating, right? That's, that's the first family. You keep reading a little further in the beginning of God's story, which is the book of Genesis, and you read about this guy named Abraham. He sleeps with his servant to start a family. 
You go a little further and you read about this set of parents have these beautiful little twins and mama favored one, daddy favored the other, created this great nightmare in their family. You read a little further and you read about this brother who had all these other brothers and they sold him into slavery into this foreign country. And I'm not even out of the book of Genesis yet. So you think to yourself, well, I'll go to the second part of God's story, right? Like, I'll go to the second part. It's going to get better in the New Testament, right? And when you read the New Testament, the second part of God's story, you realize you read about Jesus' family. Certainly, that's got to get better until you all of a sudden realize that when Jesus was a young boy, his mom and dad left him at church one day and went home without him. And you're like, where do I find a picture that I can follow the family? And some of you are like, wow, the Bible's full of pictures like that. Isn't that discouraging? Listen, I'm going to tell you something about the Bible. I actually think that's encouraging. You do? I do. The reason I think that is encouraging is simply this. The Bible is always honest about what is real. It's always honest about what is real while holding out God's ideal. The Bible never shies away from what is real. And for many of us in the room, what is real doesn't necessarily connect with what is ideal. So the place that we got to begin Somewhere is like, what do I do when my real doesn't connect with my ideal, with God's ideal? And I simply put this little, I want you to write it down and let it percolate. You see, when what is real doesn't connect with what's ideal, I need to run to God to heal what's real while asking God to help me pursue the ideal. You ought to write it down, even if right now you're like, I don't know that right now I feel that, just write it down because eventually your real isn't going to line up to what's ideal. Now, it begs this question, God never shies away from what's ideal, okay? So can I just have an honest conversation with you for a few minutes because we got to do this? Because it begs this question, okay, what is God's ideal when it comes to the family? we got to have this conversation, like we got to do this today, okay? What's God's ideal? And you find God's ideal right at the beginning of God's story. You see him kind of set this template for what his ideal and his picture is. And his picture begins with one man and one woman. Listen close. I want you to hear this. One man, one woman coming together, making a promise of future love. One man, one woman coming together, making a promise of future love. And that promise of future love is what we call marriage, right? They take a vow that is exclusive, it's permanent, and it's a promise not of how they feel about each other right now, but it's a promise, I promise I'm going to be there into an unknown future. And in the middle of that covenant, that promise of future love, this husband and wife, one man, one woman, he says, I want you to multiply. I want you to multiply. What he's saying is, I want you to have a family. I want you to have kids. And when you have kids, I want you as husband and wife coming together as one in this covenant, this relationship of security, intimacy, love, and and a promise of future love. I want you to have kids, and I want you to be the primary coaches and influencers in their life. That's God's ideal picture. Please hear me say that. We gotta say it. Okay, And the reason we got to say it is because I know, I, I always feel this. I know some of y'all's stories. And some of you right now are saying, my real is not anything close to that ideal. And you're like, what about me? Like some of you are sitting here right, right now this moment and, and you're thinking, he left me. And now I'm a single mom. She died. And now I'm a single dad. Like, my real doesn't look like that, right? Like, how do I go ahead when my real doesn't look like what is ideal? Here's what I would say to you. That wherever it is that my real doesn't look like the ideal, I need to run to God to heal. For some of us, we're walking through the heartbreak of divorce, the pain is heavy. I love the fact we have this thing called divorce care. I love that. I love the fact that we have people who want to walk with you through a dark and heavy moment. And so I run to God to heal with what's real in my life, all the while pursuing God's ideal. 
here's what I would say to you. That even in the midst of heartbreak, even in the midst of pain, I can pursue being the primary coach in my child's life. I can pursue being the primary influencer in their life. For some of you, and I want to handle this with tenderness yet truth, okay? If you don't know me, I want to, I want to make a promise to you. I will always, always do my best to tell you the truth with kindness, you do not have to agree with what I say to come here on Sunday. But I want to tell you the truth. Some of you are young adults. And our culture is giving us a cue. And here's the cue. The cue is simply this. Let's get together. And let's cohabitate. Maybe even start a family. And then we'll decide if we want to be married. Okay? And, and I want to tell you this, never, never was that God's ideal. It wasn't then, it's not now. And so you're saying, well, how do I run to God to heal if that's the pathway I'm headed down? For some of you, maybe it's simply saying, we need to move out. For others of you, maybe there's already children involved and maybe it's saying, we need to make this promise of future love. We need to enter into this covenant of marriage while we pursue God's ideal. You see, I love the fact that God is very, very honest about what is real. And yet, here's what he says. I have an ideal, and the ideal is this. Hear me say this, that parents are the coaches, the primary coaches in their child's life. What does a coach do? Listen, they help they instruct, they train, they equip, they discipline. Let me say it again. They help, they instruct, they train, they equip, and they discipline. Parents are the primary coaches. I used to coach football. I'm going to tell you something. All the parents in the room, once you listen, I'm going to say. When I coached football, I coached for 14 years. When I coached football, I started out as one of the young guys. By my 14th year, I was one of the old guys on the staff. And we'd always hire in these young coaches, right? And, and what I found is when we hired in young coaches, all the ball players would think, wow, the young, cool coaches, right? Like I was old and irrelevant, and they were young and cool. And so it always caused a great temptation among the young coaches. And the, the temptation among the young coaches was this. They wanted to become the player's friend because they liked being cool, and what I found, and I used to talk to young coaches, was this, is that when a coach, listen close, parents, when a coach decides to first and foremost become a friend, they end up becoming neither a friend nor a coach. You as a parent have been called to coach. And when all of a sudden the primary drive in your life becomes to become their friend, you end up forfeiting both. As a coach in your child's life, you have been given authority not to boss them around. The authority you've been given is to help them, instruct them, train them, equip them. Your job is to leverage your life to lift them. I remember sitting. This happened to me. I couldn't believe it happened. In Indiana, we had little children. Somebody came into my office. They were expecting their first child. And, and they came in, set this appointment up with me. And so I sat and I said, man, congratulations. They said, thanks, Pastor Dan. We're so excited. But we're going to parent different than everybody else. I'm like, wow, you know, great. Tell me how. What are you going to do? They said, when this child comes, we aren't going to allow this child to change anything about our life as it is now. I looked at him and I said, that's awesome. I said, why don't you get back with me in 18 years and let me know how that worked, right? Here's what I want you to hear me say, whether you're a parent, coach, teacher, just hear, kids need to somehow rearrange and change our life. We've been given this authority so that somehow we can leverage our life to coach them, to help them. If somehow they haven't reshuffled our life, somehow we're missing something. I like how Deuteronomy 6, you have this open in your lap. This is such a powerful passage. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now stay with me. Let's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Look here a second. We'll, we'll finish in a second. In the second part of God's story, 
Jesus is asked a question. Jesus, what's the most important command for somebody to follow? Do you know what he says? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. It's like there's something important right at the beginning of God's story. And then he says this, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He said, I want, your, I want everything to permeate with you somehow impressing these on your child's heart. What is he saying? I want you to write it down. Okay, and I'm going to explain. He's simply saying this. I want you to impress their heart. Don't simply modify their behavior. Big difference. He said, I want you to impress their heart. Don't simply modify. Why? Because their heart is what matters the most. Your heart is what matters the most. You know how I know that? Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else, guard your what? Heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Here's what I'll tell you. I, when my kids were little, you can ask them, I could modify their behavior. When my kids were real little, I, I, could, I could get them to do what I wanted. I could. You know, you know how? I was bigger than them. I just, stop it! They're like, get over here! I want, you know, that, okay. Now, is there a time ever when you raise your voice? Yeah. Is there a time? Yes. But here's the deal. If all I ever do is manipulate their behavior out of fear, right? All I'm doing is modifying behavior. I'm not shepherding their heart. When they got older and were still living in my home, one of them got bigger than me, right? Way bigger than me. And no, I don't think any of them were afraid of me, but he certainly wasn't afraid of me. But I could still manipulate their behavior. Did you know that? Yeah, even though he was bigger than me, even though they weren't afraid of me, you know how I simply owned everything in the house, right? I say, you want to use the car, right? I could manipulate and modify their behavior and never touch their heart. And when all I do is modify behavior and never impress their heart, you know what I create? A little hypocrite. A little hypocrite who knows how to act in one environment. A little hypocrite who knows how to turn it on in this environment but is somebody completely different in another environment. And all God seems to be saying is impress their hearts. Listen, Grace Church, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I've said this the first two services. It's worth saying. I believe this. On Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, uh, I have the privilege to hang out with some of the coolest people. My wife and I, along with some others, we hang out with 18 to 29-year-olds, about 40 or 50 of them. Love it. I sincerely believe that, that one of the reasons that in our history, not this church, but in our history, young adults flee from the church is because when all they hear is how to behave and there's nothing that engages their heart, they get to a certain age and they're like, doesn't make sense. See what I'm saying? You see, God had a handle on this way back <laughs> In Deuteronomy 6, he's like, I want you to somehow impress the hearts. So how do I do that? Three things, three things I'm going to suggest. First is this. I want you to write this down. I got to begin by letting them see who impresses my heart. I want you to write it down. Let me, let me just kind of flesh it out. I got to let them see who impresses my heart. Remember this about kids. Remember this about kids. Kids will always doubt what you say, but they'll believe what you do. Remember that. In fact, can I say this? This is a different sermon, different time. Doubt is not a bad thing. If your kid doubts, it's not a bad thing. It can be the very launching pad to a conversation that strengthens faith. Doubt is not bad. Kids will always doubt what you say, but they'll believe what you do. I got to let them see who impresses my heart. How do I do that? Let me give you three suggestions, okay? Whether you're a grandparent, some of you are grandparents, some of you are aunts, uncles, I want you to write this stuff down. I got to tell them my story. I, I share my story. Kids need to hear the real story of how God kind of interrupted and erupted on the scene of your life, right? Kids need to know you're real. Kids need to know that you didn't like 
pop out one day as a parent giving them rules and stuff to do, right? They need to know that somewhere God had to interrupt your life, that you're a tro- saddest verse in all the Bible. Write it down, test me on it. Joshua 2.10, saddest verse in all the Bible, one of, if not the, says this, that a whole generation grew up, didn't know God, and didn't know the stories about how God had been with their fathers. Somewhere they didn't tell their story. Somewhere they they didn't see it important to say, hey, here's how God kind of engaged in our life. Here's how God was important in our life. Kids want to hear your story. Second, I would say this, talk to God out loud with them. Have If he matters, then I need to talk and let them listen in on conversations. Listen, I already know. Man, I've been talking to people all day. I have people who say to me, I I agree, Dan, but I'm not a good prayer. Okay? I'm just going to talk. I have not met a not good prayer. I've not met a not good prayer. I'm going to talk to my father. I'm going to talk to God. I don't know all the right words to say. Well, you're probably a better prayer than the guy who knows all the words to say. Just be honest. Be real. But here's what I know. I begin to impress their heart when they hear me talking to the one who matters most. So I talk to God about them, with them, for them. And then I would say this. I would say this. If I'm going to impress their hearts, not only have I got to share my story, I want to talk to the Father, but I've got to show them how big God is in my life. Now stay with me on this. Show them how big God is in my life. Your kids, I want you to remember this. Your kids are constantly taking snapshots. Here's when they're taking snapshots. When things are going well in your home, they're, they're watching to see who gets the credit. They're watching to see who gets the credit. Now listen, and when things are going really, really bad, really difficult, they're watching to see who you're turning to. You see, when things are good, they want to know, well, who is it that, thanks God for the way you provide it. Thanks, God, for the way you help. Thanks, God, for... And when things are really, really hard and I don't know what to do and everything seems to be falling apart, God, I need your help. Kids are taking snapshots. I need to let them see who impresses my heart. Second is this. I want you to write it down. I need to lead them to understand God's heart, not just obey God's rules. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I need to lead them to understand... God. If I want to impress... A child's heart, I got to lead them beyond just the God who has all these rules for them to follow, but that all of God's rules, whatever they might be, points to a God who wants to have a relationship. And when I have rules without a relationship, it leads to rebellion. That rules, no relationship, will always lead to rebellion. And so impressing their heart means I'm going to move beyond just religious activity to a relationship that God wants to have with them. What does this mean? I'm going to just make, here's what it means. I can't just go to my teenager and say, you need to go to church. Because the teenager, by the way, they do. The teenager is going to go, why? It's a great question. Right? And if I say, because the Bible says keep the Sabbath day holy and you've got to keep the rules, it's like, okay. But if I go to them and say, hey, did you know God's putting together this big family? And he's got lots of people in this family and his desire is that somehow you learn from, encourage, and get together with your brothers and sisters. That somehow... You're going to be better together and that God's desire is that you pursue and enjoy and appreciate his family. So all of a sudden I begin to understand the heart of the God who wants to be in this relationship. You need to pray. Okay, why? Because God says pray. Okay, thank you for this food. Well, because there's a God who has a vacant seat at the table that he longs for you to come and sit at and share your heart with him because he says this. You can cast your care on me. Why? Because I care for you. You see, somehow I got to get underneath. Let me tell you, this is for free, but for Jennifer and I, for Jennifer and I, two things that drove, two things that drove us was this. If you want to write it down, if you got young kids, first is this. We wanted our kids to know God was a really, really, really big God. Why? Why did we want God them to know God was a really, really big God. Because when they 
hit difficulties. I wanted them to know they could run to a God who was able to do beyond what they could ever dream or imagine. There was stuff they were going to face daddy weren't going to help them with, right? I wanted them to know God was a really big God. That's the first thing. And that he was a God who loved them more than they even understood at that moment. Because I wanted them to know the God they were running to for help was a God who cared about them more than they thought possible. And you see, those two things became things that drove. Did we have rules? Did we have? Yes. Yes. And I'm going to talk to you some about that next week. But the fact of the matter is that if I don't somehow take them to the heart of God, I have a hollow list of rules with no relationship. Some of you grew up that way. Some of you grew up that way. So here's the deal. I've got to let them see who impresses my heart. I've got to lead them to see God's heart. And then I'm going to say this last thing. I've got to listen to their heart. I want you to write it down, and, and then let me explain what I mean by it. i got to listen to their heart. How do I listen to their heart? Jesus gives us a hint. Here's what he says. What you say flows from what's in your heart. <laughs> so somehow i got to listen to what they say. How many in the room have heard children should be seen and not heard? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. Nice and high. Okay, listen to me. That is a bunch of baloney. There are times when they need to not be heard. I'm not saying that if they keep interrupting your conversation and they, they, they need to be taught boundaries and manners and things like that, but children who are never heard, are, they scare me. Children who are never heard scare me. Why? Because out of the overflow of their heart, their mouth speaks. I wanted to hear what my kids had to say. You know what that means? You've got to create space to listen to kids. You've got to create the space and time to listen to kids. And that might look different with different kids. i got three kids, one daughter, and two sons. My daughter came out of the womb talking, and she's been talking ever since, right? And so what that means is that I had to create time to sit and listen. And she, when she would talk, would tell me every detail you can imagine, right? Because that's what mattered to her. And so I had to, as her father and Jennifer, as her mother, create the time. Because when she wanted to talk, it's like, boom, we're dialed in. But I got two boys, and I think she took all their words, right? Because here's what I had to learn as they were growing up. Whereas I had to just set aside time and listen to her and listen to, I had to learn to ask questions to my boys. Because here's the deal. You ask enough questions, and then there becomes this pop. It's almost like a nut you're crying. It's like, then they're ready to talk. And when they're ready to talk, you're ready to listen. See how that works? And here's the deal. Parents, I'm going to tell you something. When you create space for them to talk, when you create space, don't be shocked. Listen close. When they say crazy things and they're honest with you what they're struggling about. You're saying, why? Because if they come to you and say, Dad, I'm struggling with. Let me just say this. If they come to you and say, Dad, I'm struggling with pornography. (gasps) How could you? I'm a failure and you can't. I don't believe. Here's what's going to happen. They're done talking. They're done. Don't let it shock you. Don't let it surprise you. Let it educate you. Because when my kids stopped, you can ask them, when they were quiet, that's when I was the most nervous. I wanted to hear what, even if it was sounded crazy, even if it was, I wanted to hear them. See, all he's saying is, I want you to impress their hearts. Children are a gift, expiration date. Parents are the coaches. Which leads to this, and this is where we're going to end today, pick it up. We as a church want to be active partners. We as a church want to be active partners. You see, it's one of our values here at Grace Church. We're fully committed to kids and students. We unapologetically devote major resources and energy towards shaping a God-centered worldview during a person's prime developmental years. Here's why. Let me tell you why. 85%, 85%, listen, 85%, in case you didn't hear me, 85% of the people who say yes to Jesus do so before the age of 14. Every child who walks through these doors into this place, we see as a gift from God. They have an expiration date. The marbles are running out. And every parent, every parent we see as a child's primary coach that we want to come alongside and partner with. Every kid matters. 
Every parent has been given a role. So what do we do with this? What, what do we do with this? I want to give you a few things, pray, and then we're done. To all you parents in the room, can, I, can we just put some flesh on this? What do I do? No matter how, how broken maybe your family feels, I, I, I want to give you a step to take. I want you to, in fact, I dare you to go home and find your kids. No matter if they've been absolutely hellions today. Find your kids, put your arm around them, and tell them that you're thankful for them. That they are a gift from God. And tell them that ten times more than you think they need to hear it. I double-dog dare you as parents to go home and try to carve out an opportunity simply to, to take your kids somewhere, to have a conversation, and at some point for you to share your story with them. Just to share your story of maybe challenges growing up when God interrupted your life. I challenge you as parents to simply take what Moses said us and begin counting your weeks so that you make your weeks count. You know why? Because you're losing your marbles. And you, listen, I'm not doing this for any kind of theatrical. You're losing your marbles. And the decision you make today, don't wait till tomorrow, the decision you make today with your children, you're going to blink your eyes and it's going to be 20 years from today. And the conversation we have with that person, your child, 20 years from today, will be affected by the decision you make today to begin impressing their heart. Those of you who are here and you're not parents, your grandparents, your whatever, your, your teachers, your whatever, but you would call Grace Church your home, I have a really practical thing, and then I'm going to pray we're done. I double dog dare you before you get to your car. I double dog dare you to when you run into somebody, a kid, a teenager, a young adult, to look at them on your way to your car. Don't wait till next week. Don't on your way to the car and let them know that you're glad they're here. I double dog dare some of you to get down on their level and say, what's your name? I'm glad you're here. I double dog dare some of you, simply as you're talking to their parents, to take a minute and say, I'm glad you guys are here. Why? Because if you do that, if you do that, you might just have a divine encounter with a gift from God that he's given to us on temporary loan. So God, it's the beginning of a conversation. Help us. What a privilege to have kids here. What a privilege to have parents here. And what a privilege as a church to partner. God, I pray the decisions we make today as parents, coaches, teachers, grandparents, uncles, aunts, might somehow begin to invest in these gifts that you've given us in a way that will produce a harvest and will do incredible things in their life. God, there are some times that we go through these phases and we're like, I don't know that I'm going to survive. And we need your help. Some of us are in the middle of situations that are less than ideal. And so we need your help. And we're praying that. And we're so grateful that you're a God who allows us to be honest about that. Thank you for giving us some idea of what it means by inviting us into your family. We're so grateful for that. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.